Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. One of the best parts of doing this show is the people I get to talk to and interview for you. This one is no different. I got to talk to Roger Martin all about business, and he's a professor emeritus at the University of Toronto. And yes, I practiced the word emeritus and I Googled it. You should too. He wrote the best-selling book, Playing to Win, which is a very good book. And I didn't know about it until I read his new book, A Way to Think. Pick that one up. I had a great time talking to him. I had a great time reading it. And we go deep on this one. And we also talk sports. So listen in. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a Success Magazine podcast. And I've got a treat for you on this one because you know I read the Harvard Business Review all the time. And this guy is in it multiple times, Roger L. Martin. Welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here, Tristan. Thanks for having me. Dude, I, when, I, when I saw your name come through and then I saw all the accolades, I'm like, dude, we got to have this guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so, you. So thanks for being on it. You've got a new book called A New Way to Think. And the very first time I saw the title, I'm like, okay, all right, tell me, tell me more about this. I, I like it. But the more I read it, it's like there's no, there's no wrong way and there's no right way. There's just a possible better, more upgraded way, right? Absolutely. I thought that was great, man. Now, now I'm using that. I mean, I just finished reading your book, but now I'm like, I'm already using that. I'm like, guys, there's no right or wrong way. So. Yeah. <laughs> See, you would then, Tristan, be categorized by the great Karl Popper as a falsificationist. <laughs> a, <laughs> already, a, I love it. A falsificationist uh, believes there are no right answers. They're just better ones and worse ones. And if you come up with an answer, uh, chances are to some class of problems. Uh, and here's, here's what I think is the best thing to do. There's a extremely good chance that somebody coming along later will, you know, stand on the shoulders of, of, of giants and come up with a better answer still and a better answer still and a better answer still. And so, so people who are falsificationists are always interested in what's a better way to think about this. Uh, Whereas people are often taught implicitly to be the opposite with it, which is a justificationist, which is you believe there are right answers, the truth, and you try to seek that out. And when you get there, you say, Da-da, I'm done. And if anybody comes up with a, well, Tristan, what about this? What about that? If you were a justificationist rather than the falsificationist you are, you would say, no, 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 no. That's, that, that's not really relevant. That, that data, that doesn't really apply. No, that's not really relevant because my answer is right and I'm done. And that's, that's a huge difference uh, in, in life. The falsificationists you know, they, some people say, well, that's pessimistic, Roger. There are no right answers. And I say, well, no, it's, it might be pessimistic about today, but it's ultra optimistic about the future. 
there's always going to be a better answer. You work on it, there'll always be a better answer and a better answer and a better answer, right? A justificationist is, in fact, a falsificationist is, is that a justificationist sorry, is optimistic about today, but incredibly pessimistic about tomorrow. It'll never be better than this. And even yeah. in things like, you know, we thought Sir Isaac Newton, one bright dude, right, uh, was completely right about the fundamental laws of motion, right? Mm -hmm. And we taught it as completely right for 150 years. years. And then this patent clerk with fuzzy hair who didn't wear socks came along. My favorite uh, Albert, guy. Albert Einstein. <laughs> and, and said, well, you're mainly right. He didn't say, Isaac, seriously, you're completely wrong. He said, you're mainly right, but here's a slightly righter kind of interpretation. And so that's, in some sense, uh, you've, you have in your opening sort of picked up on that, that idea. And in essence, the idea behind the book, which is why why come to the conclusion that the way we're thinking about this business problem is right and you must use that way when there is lurking out there a better way uh, to think, a newer way uh, to think about it. And that's especially the case if that model really isn't working very well, right? If your model is, true. hey, you know, lead is really malleable and it's really good for making pipes to carry the water in and around Rome, right? If people start like dying of lead poisoning, you might want to rethink the lead pipes are the bomb kind of uh, thing and, and, and think maybe, maybe we should think about uh, another way. That's so funny. That you that. Now you use the word dude, man. I like that. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Malibu, California. Where, where are you? I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And is that is but that my you... son lives in Malibu? Oh, no way. Yes, yes, yes. Dude, I like that. All right, we'll talk we'll talk later about that. Yes, that's yes. that's cool. So as you're talking about falsificationist and justificationist, I can't help and I couldn't help but but thinking about when I was reading it. I, I'm thinking Carol Dweck. Fixed mindset versus growth mindset. I'm thinking confirmation bias, definitely more on the justificationist. Yes. And falsificationist, I'm almost thinking like very philosophical, very stoic, right? And I love it, man. I, it's yeah. the very first time I read I read that phrase before. Yeah. And so thank you for opening up my mind to that now. And, and I don't know, if I can just say, Tristan... Oh, you know, the the most two interesting books I've written read in the last 10 years are Dweck uh, on uh, growth mindset and and uh, Duckworth on grit, uh, Angela Duckworth. Uh, yep. But I'm not sure if if I don't think Carol does make that make that connection. Or I've heard anybody else make that connection. So good for you, uh, uh, Tristan, because I, I, I think fundamentally, if Karl Popper were alive today, she'd say, ah, Carol Dweck, you just, you're a falsificationist, right? You know, you are, you are teaching kids to be falsificationist from an early age. Uh, and, and therefore, 
they are optimistic about the future rather than optimistic about the the present. This is how smart I am. So if I can't solve this problem, I'm done. That's that is fundamentally justificationist. And if it's hey, you know, I just I just haven't worked hard enough, practiced hard enough, uh, thought thought long enough uh, to solve this problem. Growth mindset. So I like the connection. I hadn't made that myself, but I think uh, I think it's apt. Nice. Well, that's what I'm here for, Roger. Thank you for being on the podcast. Aptness. Aptness. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just messing with you, dude. Uh, all right. So, and likewise. Oh, dude, I, I love your stuff, man. I mean, I have questions about the whole Aristotle article with the three types of knowledge, but but first, I want to get to your book because the one thing you you specify in the book is like, hey, look, you can start anywhere you want in my book. Yes. And I love that because actually when you gave me permission to do that, I went through and I'm like, well, where do I want to start? Right? Oh, yes? Where yeah. did you Which start? Did you... Where did you start, Tristan? What, what, I, where did your eye go? I, I started with innovation. Yes. Only because we had just, we have just finished interviewing uh, Jim McKelvey who, who created Square. The little, yep. Yeah. yep. Absolutely. And he, he talked about innovation and he says that that word is is often overused, right? And so I wanted to think I wanted to see like, well, what what do you have here as far as innovation? And I thought what you had to say was was great, by the way, because you brought up intervention. Yes. And I I hadn't seen it that way. And I was like, oh crap, let me take some notes. So for those <laughs> you for those of you listening in, pay attention here. What what do you have to say when it comes to innovation? Roger. Well, you know, what, what I, I guess I, I find is so many uh, people who are attempting to innovate in one sphere or another, whether they're an architect trying to build a really new cool uh, house, or they are, they are a, uh, a, a designer, product designer trying to create the coolest new chair or whatever. Their biggest complaint is yeah, I great this great design, but architect, the house was never built or the building was never built or the museum. The, the, I, I created this new product and they never launched it. I created this new logo and they stuck with their, their old logo, whatever it is. It's that is the number one complaint of innovators, which is I had a great innovation, but it never came to fruition. Uh, and and so my interest in it is well. What is it about their model of the world? Because you know me, that's what I'm interested in. What is it about their model of the world that suggests to them that uh, you know th- uh, that they should operate in a fashion that results in this outcome all the time? Because that's failure, right? Like they describe it. It's not me saying, oh, you failed. It's them saying, I failed to get my innovation uh, brought to life. Yeah. Um, and, and as I observed it, as I observed innovators and ones that succeeded, my observation was, you know, the ones that succeed spend a heck of a lot of time thinking about how will this innovation be integrated into the world in which I'm, I'm trying to put it, how would I get this company to actually put into production the chair I've designed? How would I get this company to decide for this new logo and retire their old logo? How would I get the 
the the customer to uh, green light building the house that I've just done the architecture for, and 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 what it came my came to the conclusion of is there there's sort of an art and science of intervention design. And I've always thought that design schools, because designers are probably the most frequent complainers about this. I had a great design, but they, they wouldn't do it. <laughs> I've often believed that design schools should teach, you know, they teach your logo design, uh, um, graphical user interface design, uh, kind of uh, object d- design, computer peripheral design. They should teach intervention design. They should teach their designers uh, to think about how their product of their work, whatever that happens to be, how it gets adopted. Um, and and because I'm really good friends with uh, the IDEO folks I've been working with, uh, Tim Brown and David Kelly, since uh, 2000, approximately, uh, 2001 to be exact, so a couple of decades, I became intrigued by the approach that David Kelly and Bill Moggridge, the late Bill Moggridge, the founders of IDEO, came up with, uh, or at least were the ones to, they would always give credit to somebody else, but they're the ones who popularized it, which is this rapid iterative prototyping, right? If you if you uh, are designing something at IDEO, you go to the client really early with a really rough prototype and mm-hmm. say, uh, you know, and this is famously like the the uh, the uh, uh, clip and and a whiteboard marker, uh, clothespin mm-hmm. and a whiteboard marker for this new kind of medical medical glue gun. You'd say, if it looked like this, what would you say? And they say, well, here's what I like about it. Here's what I don't like about it. And then they go back with something that's more uh, kind of more polished, and they go back and say, what do you think? Oh, what was it? They do that twenty times. And the theory is by the 20th time or nth time or n is like some biggish number, um, the users are going to fall all over themselves to buy it because you have, you have uh, created something that's perfectly tuned to what they want by this process of iterative prototyping. So I was, I was talking to David, in fact, interviewing him, David Kelly, even interviewing him on stage for his latest book, that Creative Confidence book, an excellent book. Uh, and I said, David, did you ever think that while this process explicitly is to make the object, the artifact, ever more, better and better and better in the eyes of the user, did you ever consider the fact that since you do this with the client, right? That the client is watching the user go from, well, maybe to, ooh, I'm liking that. Ooh, I'm loving that. Wow, this is now perfect for me. Mm-hmm. That that would actually enhance the likelihood of it being greenlit by that client. And David, bless him, said, no, that never occurred to me, but I'll steal the idea. <laughs> but you want, he's a friend, he's a friend he, that That's he so good. Credit, credit for it. But, but so I came to believe that is, was implicitly not by design, because I asked the guy who created it, was that designed as a clever intervention design? It wasn't, but it accidentally is. And, and I would argue that 
part of IDEO's outsized success, right? When you kind of think about design firms, there are lots of lots of good design continuum and frog and whatever. But the one that sort of leaps to people's mind often first is IDEO. I'm not convinced that it's because their designs are so, so much better than any other design firm. Hmm. But rather, right, their their intervention makes it more likely that their design is going to get converted into action. And so that, and since clients don't want a clever design, they want a clever design that, that converts into uh, some action, yeah. feel that, that if they hire IDEO for reasons that they may not even understand, right, it'll be more likely uh, to be a successful engagement of a, of a design firm. I like that, man. So, look, as I'm listening to you, now that I'm going through the book, your book, in my head, I'm, I'm thinking like, damn, this is this innovation piece is, I mean, you wrote the book, so you tell me, but is this like the piece that keeps on getting tweaked all along the way? Because every chapter you're talking, you're almost talking about, hey, guys, it's the consumer. Hey, guys, it's the consumer. Hey, the bottom line, it's the consumer, right? So I almost feel like intervention is a continual process at every step of the way. I think that's fair, right? I, I think we often, we, we're taught to think about the artifact, right? We're taught to think about the, uh, I don't know, the financial statements that we're, that we're going to produce. We're taught to think about how much shareholder value we'll produce. We're taught to think about what should the product look like, et cetera. We're, we're taught a heck of a lot less in the world of business about how do you actually get stuff done? How do you make stuff happen? Um, and so I, I, I do think there's a meta point uh, to it, which is, which is, you know, if you, if you want to change the world, and then this, of course, relates to the habit chapter, right? We have these incredibly powerful habits where our, our subconscious is like almost screaming at us. <laughs> you moron keep doing the thing that the thing that we're confident of you know you're walking down yeah. the detergent aisle uh, and you've always used tide and you're thinking well how about this purcell i wonder about that your subconscious is sitting there first rolling its eyeballs and saying okay let me get this straight the thing that's worked the last 50 times that we've that we've walked down this aisle you're now saying oh gee why don't we try this like who, what kind of moron are you? That's the conversation between the, the subconscious and the conscious. Just take that tide tub of pods and drop it in the cart and don't be a moron, right? That's, that's what it's, it's saying to you. Now, the meta result of that is, is the status quo in virtually any and every context, right? has a vice-like grip on us, right? Mm -hmm. Vice-like grip on the world. Whatever we're doing now, if we've been doing it for a while, we will want to continue doing. Yeah. So you better think really hard about how you can intervene into that very stable status quo to make any change happen. 
or it just ain't going to happen. It's going to be overwhelmed. The subconscious will win that battle. It's interesting, and that's true. So how how do we go from staying as a company or as a business, right? Because most people listening to to this podcast are solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, business owners. So how do we go from being a business that that had this amazing idea? We innovated, right? We did we did this uh, intervention thing, not as cool as you you outlined it, right? But we did some of it, and we're like, oh, this is good. We, we got something here, and it has a good reception. But then over the years, it kind of gets stuck, yeah. right? And you've seen companies that have died out, and then in your book, you give examples of companies that are just still there, that are just going, and I love that. And then I kept on thinking in my head, I'm like. Well, Gary v, Gary Vaynerchuk's told me, "Hey, Tristan, you know, you you every day you've got to think how can you put yourself out of business, right? Daily, how can you put yourself out of business?" And I kept on thinking. Now, intervention, right? Innovation, intervention. Like this is how we continually do this. Is there something that that you have seen that companies do really well that continues to put this as the central piece of their culture, so they're always innovating always moving forward sure i i I think right this is a classic upward downward spiral thing right which is which is if you succeed in making intervention a habit or uh, sorry (laughs) innovation if you if you succeed in making innovation a habit like this is just what we do. We we try to obsolete the uh, previous uh, product right? Um, then, then it's, then the likelihood of changing from that habit is low because if you're not innovating, right, then you're saying, Ooh, Ooh, I'm, I'm breaking with habit. If your habit is not to innovate, right. Is to, is to keep riding whatever horse you you're riding until it, you know, uh, drops, uh, from exhaustion. And then you wonder, Hey, Hmm. We're out in the middle of the desert. I don't have another horse. Uh, like, what do I do now? And of course that, then it's too late. You, you, uh, uh, you, you die of heat, of heat stroke. <laughs> you're so done. You, you're done. You're done. So, so that's, that's the key is, is, to, is to, is to create a habit around that. How can you create a habit around that? How, how have I seen it done? Well, yeah. as, as I say in the book, the company I've hung around for the longest uh, uh, time is, is Procter & Gamble. Yeah. And there, and there, if you come to a strategy review and you can't tell the CEO, so your business unit president, you're running, you know, whatever the diaper business and you, and you can't say, um, here's the innovation we're bringing to the market in the next 18 months. Here's the innovation that we're planning for the three to five year uh, period. And here's the kind of the eight to 10 uh, year thing. We, we, we can't even figure out how to do it yet, but this is the, this is the thing we're, uh, we're working on. If you don't do that, it's not like you'll be fired, but you'll be on a sort of a watch list, right? <laughs> because, yeah. because that's, that's, your job and that's the habit. The habit is, oh, you, you, you know, have to have 
near, medium, longer term. And, and uh, you know, by the time you get 10 years out, chances are what you're selling now, yeah, there will be nothing like it that you're really selling. It'll be, it'll be kind of something a whole lot uh, better. It might still be called whatever head and shoulders or pam- pampers or what, whatever, but boy, if you put different. the two beside each other, <laughs> you'd say, are these things related in, in some way that I'm, un- that I'm unaware of? Um, That's interesting. so, so I think, I think just making, making it uh, that way and, and insisting if you're, if you're, you know, the, the CEO of that, just in insisting that that will be the case uh, in, in all cases, um, is important to establishing it as a, as a habit. And then you've got to fund that, that requires R and D. And so you, you better, you better fund it. Now does Procter get it right all the time and always no, but at least, at least they have a track record of being around here now for closing in on two centuries. Uh, most of which they've been obviously on top, uh, and, and, I think it has a lot to do with, with that being that innovation being a habit, not an exception. I love that. Anything that's exceptional is going to be always harder, harder to do because the subconscious is sort of saying, why, 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 why are we doing this? Can't we just keep doing what we're doing? Please. You're making Mm. me uncomfortable. Yeah, I see that. And as a, as I was reading that part, when you were talking about, well, you talk about Procter and Gamble throughout, and I was thinking, well, that there has to be an opportunity for newer companies that are trying to break into, and you brought up Tide, how Tide has been, how, how they have really held that dominance over, over the consumer for that specific product for a long time. Yes. And I thought, well, if somebody would want to break into that, and let's say you have a business owner listening in and saying, well, I've always wanted to break into this area over here or this specific niche, what are the opportunities that we should be looking for? Because if somebody's out there like a Procter & Gamble who's got a hold of a specific niche, you worked with them, what are our opportunities that you see, hey, this is the route we should take? I wouldn't do it, right? Like I would, this is what I always used to say, my friend, uh, Clay Christensen, the late and wonderful Clay Christensen, I used to say, you know, Clay, I think your your theory of disruption is you know, it's bang on and, and helpful, but it's not equal opportunity. It's not like, you know, roving bands of of hyenas just, just search and destroy anything that happens to be around. Uh, in disruption, the disruptors go after essentially standing still prey, right? Got it. Uh, right. They, they, they do. And, and, and hyenas, I'm sure, are, are similar. They prefer a prey to be standing still than running quickly. Um, and, and so, so what I've, what I would say to Clay is, you know, d- disruption happens wildly disproportionately to the people who are not moving forward mm. and, and and because it's just it's just daunting right let's imagine you said i'm going to invest enormously in disrupting 
Procter and Gamble's Tide in North America or Ariel or around the rest of the world is what, is what Tide is called. Uh, the Tide equivalent is called, but let's just say North America. I'm going to disrupt uh, them, and and you chose uh, to do that disruption uh, kind of a couple of years before Tide Pods came along right mm -hmm. and so you're going to find it so you know proctor's got this great product tied it's a liquid detergent it washes in cold water it's got bleach already in it. it's got fabric softener in it we're going to make an even better kind of liquid detergent with these things in it right then and just as you're about to launch Tide comes forward with the pause launch it's sort of like hey you want it you wanted all those benefits in them easiest possible thing you no know, messy bottle no nothing we throw you'd be sitting there and saying oh my god we've just spent five billion dollars to try and beat liquid tide and they're not there anymore <laughs> they've gone they're into pods uh and they're just better right like you know we're screwed so, <laughs> I so see what you're they, saying. yeah so they'd be so they'd be they'd be more likely to go after something that, where there isn't that innovation, right? Where yeah. people are standing still. So in that yeah. case, I'd have no advice other than don't do it, literally. Uh, um, I like that. So I keep on thinking in my head, it's hard to hit a moving target. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like that if you had a cho I, choice, like just, just think, just, just think of you in, in, in a military uh, on a military field, like in in real real war, and you want to make a difference. You got the enemy, and you want to make a difference, and you don't have an unlimited number of bullets or time to fire them. Where are you going to fire them at? Yeah, enemy that's racing, jogging back and forth in in a, in a way that's it's hard for you to figure out where they're going, or the one that's just standing stock still. It's a no-brainer, right? Yeah, yeah, and that and and so so my my argument to all 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 companies is be in motion, and if you're in motion, chances are you're not going to have a Clay Christensonian kind of disruption happening. Yeah, I see that. I see that a lot. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. So then if I'm looking to, let's say, break into an area, I'm going to look for an opportunity where a company isn't moving at the same pace that it was before. Yes. Now, if I'm doing that and we've, let's say we identified one and say, yep, that's an opportunity where we want to break into this. You're big on models. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the parts that I read in, in the book about models, I'm like, oh, you know what? This is, this is interesting because we've interviewed some amazing people here too that say, Hey, look, if there's a model, use it and then build on top of it. Right. And, and that, and that is, that is certainly one way, but another way is, is change the model, right? Like why is Salesforce a gigantic force in, in, in kind of enterprise software? Well, it's because I would argue that, that uh, SAP and Oracle did a great job. I mean, they're they're worth hundreds of billions each. Each did a great job saying to a company, "Hey, you know, rather than having all these uh, data systems that don't talk to one another and twenty seven GLs that do some general ledgers that you have to add up every quarter, how's about this? We have one system where everything funnels into that, and then you can produce all your reports from that. 
that's that's uh, whatever, probably a half a trillion dollar uh, kind of innovation. Given if you add up the market caps of those those two companies, um, but I would argue that that the innovation there was slowing down. Uh, they were spreading out, and you get more SAP modules. Yeah, 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 yeah. But was it was it being made easier for the the companies? Uh, people had to wait for whenever SAP had going to have the next release, the next upgrade, and they'd have to pay this huge uh, uh, licensing fee upfront. So it made it a big, huge capital cost. And so, what does Salesforce do? They say, "How's about this?" How's about we rent it to you? Software as a service. Uh, you just pay monthly, no fee, no licensing fee, and yeah. and we promise to upgrade this thing at this pace that's unheard of by the SAP Oracle kind of axis. And Blamo, they go from nothing to to something gigantic. So I I always ask the question: Is there is there a a different model? of of meeting the the customer's needs and you know uh i i think there often is because those who are prospering from a model right it, it is sort of innovators dilemma thing those who are prospering from the model are you know often very reluctant not innovating yeah yeah to 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 destroy the destroy the model john ledger at t-modal t-mobile similar thing right uh yeah. you know he's losing big time uh when he gets when he gets to t-mobile they're just losing big time to uh verizon and at&t and yeah. verizon and at&t are kind of annoying customers by saying we will give you a phone for free right and then charging yeah. charging a big premium on your on your two-year contract locking you in and if the new generation of phones come out, come out they, they'll say well you can break your contract but that'll cost you a million dollars right not quite but it felt like it felt like that way and so leisure john leisure the the t-mobile ceo says we're going to just blow up that model we're going to go bring your own device. No contracts. You just show up with the phone. We'll turn it on and you'll pay us something every month uh, for it. And you figure out what phone you love and you try and get a great deal on your phone. That's great. We're happy for you if you get a great uh, deal on your phone. And T-Mobile you know, has now become a, a major force. It's a three-way battle. It was a two-way battle with two also rands, T-Mobile and Sprint. And T-Mobile and Sprint are now, to now together, but they're a force. So, so blowing up, blowing up the existing model, as per the book, is is something. At least I always, I always ask, is there is there a chance? Is there an opportunity? Now, yeah, hmm. I like that, dude. Because now you're you're now you're talking to me here with a massive corporation like Verizon and AT&T, but still having the opportunity to blow up the model. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, and they resisted, they both resisted for better part of a, I think it was a year, maybe even longer. And then they finally threw in the towel and said, we're going to have to go bring your own phone. And, and what that, what that did was free up all those locked in customers who you could only get at once every two years. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, if you're, if you're the leader 
and you got the biggest market share. You're Verizon, and you've got the biggest market share. You got forty-ish market market share, and those share points are sort of locked in for 21, 24 months at a time. What could be better, right? Because then around the time that the contract is coming up, you market the hell out of them. Da, 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 da. Uh, if instead that's completely unlocked, and all of those customers are up for grabs every day of the year, that's just bad mm -hmm. for you. And John Leisure, clever dude that he is, and yeah, Wild yeah. Man, as you probably have seen in interviews. Definitely of Wild Man. Wild, yeah. wild Man. Um, uh, although I think part of that, I know part of that's an act, but yeah. uh, uh, in any event, blow it up. And I instead of... Verizon and and AT and T being on third base and, and leisures at home plate, and and they both start running, you know who's going to win? Uh, but if you force AT and T and Verizon back to home plate, uh, you got a fair race. I feel like this what we're talking about right now is is the whole first section of your book, like context, because it goes back to the consumer, and I can't help but think that Elon Musk did the same thing with Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. Consumer, consumer, let's make it as easy yes. as possible. Yeah. And, and similarly, when we're talking about Verizon and AT&T and having the opportunity to burst their bubble, mm -hmm. I'm feeling like TikTok is doing something very similar to, to Meta, right? With Facebook and Instagram, where they're coming in because there's an opportunity. And that's, it's very interesting to see. I hadn't, I had not thought of that, Tristan, but I think you're right. That's a good, that's a good example. Don't, do not play their game. I mean, really, you know, why would you, why would you want to do that? Play yeah. a different game so that it, it partially, so the subconscious isn't saying Tristan, Tristan, Tristan. Don't go over to that TikTok. Just keep sticking here with with Facebook. Uh, it, it's sort of wow. There's a completely new thing. You can make these short videos. So so should I adopt this completely? I'll, I'll keep I'll keep on 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 using uh, uh, Facebook like just like I always did. Only oops, I'm spending half as much time because I'm making 15 second clip. It's cool. Like it's a it's 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 very good. Yeah. It's create and create a category that's new so there's no incumbency. Even though you're you're looking to battle for screen time, but it feels like a different enough category. The subconscious isn't screaming at you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. You, you know, the conscious can say to the subconscious, "It's like we're trying a new thing. It, it has nothing to do with Facebook. Nothing, nothing whatsoever to do with uh, with Facebook." Mm. That's good. I hadn't thought of it. I had, I had not. I had not considered because I love. I love like these blowout phenomena. Right. It's like, Me what, too. what, what did they do that made it such a blowout phenomenon? Um, yeah. And uh, your, your book was very reminiscent of reading Jim Collins built to last and, uh, and good to great. Just so you know, dude, yeah, I, yeah. I'm putting it, I'm putting it at that caliber. I'm reading it. I'm like, this is good. Oh, well, I mean, this thank is really you. Good. Cause Jim like clay this is one of the good guys. He's 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 smart and and, and all that good stuff. There are a lot, there are plenty of them around, but he's just a good guy too, which is nice. So I'll I'll happily be I'll happily be put in in that. Well, you're definitely a good anywhere. dude, bro. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's talk about talent because you got my attention in the book when you brought up. <laughs> Did, that resonate? Brought up Did that resonate with you? Totally. It made me think, wait, wait a second. That was like a, that was like really out of nowhere. You brought up Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, do yes. you like football? What's going I on? I love football. I'm a, I'm a footballaholic. And, uh, and so, yeah. And, and I, I do love it. I mean, one of the things as a writer that you've got to do is sort of put down some markers, right? Uh, about what might happen. And it played out to perfection because I wrote it, right? Before, before kind of the Packers like woke up and started basically saying, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> sorry, we had that wrong. You are special. Uh, <laughs> is there anything we can get you? Uh, you want Randall Cobb back? <laughs> Kind of uh, uh, sure. So they did exactly, and then and and uh, and then in the whole negotiations around around the, uh, uh, staying, it was it was like they just all the things that they absolutely pissed off Rogers uh, with. Uh, they they uh, uh, they backtracked one hundred percent on. Bless them. That's good. Good for. Uh, uh, good for the, uh, for the Packers. And did you mm-hmm. notice how, I don't know if you were watching it super closely, but when the first, um, rumors of the new deal came out and they talked about the, him being the first $50 million a year, you know, kind of quarterback, he's Aaron Rodgers came out and said, no, 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 no. It's not, it's, it's not that much, right. Rather than I got the most, I'm awesome. It's no, 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 it's not that much. That's not what he cared about. So it's, it's perfect. Uh, I, I, I love it when life unfolds the way, uh, the way you I didn't, predict. I didn't notice that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So and his, I was, it's all about, it was all about being treated fairly special. Right. And, and the quote is hmm. great. It's like, you'd think after 17 years and after what I've done to lead and three MVPs and whatever, they'd at least be a little bit interested in, in, uh, in what I had to say. He wasn't like being, in my view, diva-esque, though he was yeah. called a diva by many, many people. And maybe, I mean, he's got a, he's got a sort of a slightly edgy personality. But, but yeah. it, if you listen to his comments, they were all like, do you absolutely have to draw this line where management is on this side and players are on that side and management does all these things, which players never do. And players do all these yeah. things, which managers never do that. That was for him, the great Satan. You could, you could just, you could just tell. That makes a lot of sense though. I mean, that's why I loved with that chapter on talent. It's like, Hey guys, just remember everyone's human. Yeah. They need yes. to be, they need to be, uh, loved. They need to know that they're loved where they're at. And I can't believe you didn't bring up Tom Brady. That was just like, <laughs> what the well, hell is going on, Roger? Yes. No, I, 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 I probably could have, because I, I, I honestly think that's, that's what ended up, uh, kind of breaking down the relationship between, between Brady and, and Belichick. Because and what you heard hints of from people close to it was was while Brady appreciated entirely that at an earlier stage in his career, right, he he needed to just 
what you know whatever you know you say jump and and, and my only question is how high kind of like a, that that was fine but at this point in my career um i don't need to have film of my mistakes played in front of everybody and them ripped to shreds because i know yeah. exactly precisely what i did wrong that was dumb i don't need you to play the film uh, uh of it because i'm a different guy now 17 18 years on you know sometimes i don't i don't <laughs> i don't do the right uh, right thing uh, in the middle in the, in the middle of the action i make an ill-advised uh, throw but uh are you going to treat me like Tom Brady of whatever, uh, 20, 2005 or 2008 or Tom Brady of, of later? And if the answer is 2005, 2008, that's, that's what it's going to be because that's the Patriot way. I'm out of here, but you can tell it was not, it was mm -hmm. not easy for him to, to make that, uh, that decision. But it, I think it all came to being treated as a unique individual and the unique yeah. individuality being uh, appreciated entirely trickier for yeah. Belichick, right? Which is there's a Patriot way and Definitely. everybody does it. And, but I think, I think in the modern world, I mean, Belichick, I do think it's the, the greatest uh, football coach of all time. Uh, but I think in the, in the modern world, as talent is flexing its muscles, I mean, all you have to do is look at the NBA versus versus uh the nfl right the players are just five seven maybe ten years ahead of the nfl in flexing their muscles right so lebron james so true. It, it, lebron james is the de facto general manager of every team and de facto coach of every team he's played on in the last uh, uh 10 years and he's yeah. not a very good general manager. Um, and yeah. I love them missing the playoffs, the Lakers. Sorry for all those Lakers fans. I love them missing, <laughs> the, missing and which might include you. Um, but, um, but we lost half no. of our members right there. Roger. Sorry about that. Don't joke. Sorry about that. <laughs> but, but that, that's the future. The future of the NFL in terms of talent is the NBA. Uh, and so they better start figuring out now how to forge that productive relationship with talent, right? And it's yeah. tricky because it's talent on talent. What is Belichick? Talent. What is Pete Carroll? Talent, right? Oh, yeah. Sean McVay, talent, uh, right? So you've got talent on, on, the, on the coach side, you got talent on the uh, on the player side. You got talent on the general manager's uh, uh, side uh, uh, as well. And so, figuring out how to keep that talent together—that's why I mean they they were always talking, of course, in New England about Kraft owner, you know, Robert Kraft, Bill Belichick, coach, and Tom Brady, and having those three on the same page was key. Um, and I think Kraft was smart to be thinking that he had to nurture both of those tail of the distribution talents uh, to keep them on the same page or at least on uh, enough on the same page. So, and don't you love what Gronk is doing now too? Right? Dude, he dude. just come out and said, you know, I'm retired now. And as, and when I 
make it make a different decision and unretire. Yeah, and I'm in no hurry, and I might, and I might not. <laughs> I might be, I might still be thinking about this when I'm seventy. I mean, Maybe. it's sort of like the yeah. purest expression of of uh, of talent. I'm, I'm like, he, he's, he might as well be Frank Sinatra. I did it my yeah, way. So true. Right? <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I, I I kept on thinking though as I was reading that talent chapter. I was thinking about, well, Tom Brady, but I kept on thinking about the whole thing you brought up at the beginning, which is falsificationist and justificationist. And I thought right. it's interesting because the I think we as business owners can hold more of that amazing talent if we're if we lead with a falsificationist uh, ideals, right? With those ideals rather than the other way. I agree. And I wanted to know what else we could add to it besides catering to each of them individually. Like how else can we hold on to talent for a longer period of time? Because eventually I think talent in most cases will go on and do their own thing. But yeah. how can we how can we work closer together with them so that they stay longer? Well, I, I think it's to make sure you one, you you listen to them, two, you provide them opportunities before they ask for them right mm. because because the biggest danger with with high-end talent is is they they say i've worked like crazy to get myself in this position i've stayed on the practice field longer i've 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 you know painted more canvases i've whatever whatever it is um uh, and oh my god the payoff to that is slowing, right? Uh, I, I've gotten really good at what I'm doing, and now it's like falling off a log. Bad. They will get somebody else to put them on a on a new uh, uh, curve, right? And so you can't you can't let that happen. What you've got to do is get to them in advance and say, hey, you know. I, I, I've been thinking you could you could do this thing too, um, so that would be one thing, and and another thing uh, is is pat them on the back. Like one of the one of the sort of ironic things about about talent is because talent is so talented and so successful, it's often assumed. Well, I don't have to tell them they're doing a great job. I mean, they know, everybody else knows. And because they're doing a good job, they're getting all sorts of, uh, all sorts of, you know, financial re rewards from it. Um, but because to be that talent, to express that talent means always sort of living a bit on the edge, right? Um, it means that they sort of need the encouragement and the pats on the back to say, yeah, it's, it's recognized. Thank you. Kind of nice job. Uh, that was awesome. And I, like that. I, I just think it's not, it seems like you don't need to do that. It would seem that like if Tom Brady's kind of named the, you know, MVP of the, of the Super Bowl, and he's gone to Disneyland and, and or Disney world and, and the Francis yeah. lauding him, that's enough. But it just might be that that Belichick, which he may have done for all I know, needs to mm -hmm. a couple of weeks after bring Tom in for a, for a dinner and to say, 
like here's here's the way I thought about the way you managed that game, right? It was it was awesome. I loved when you did this. I loved when you did that. I loved when you did that. Uh, and you know, thank you very much uh, for for uh, for doing that for me. Uh, and I like that the team. Uh, and and you might not think it's need, needed. I see. I definitely see now. Looking back, like uh, running def- different businesses, that that is such a big component of success. Yes, it's it's uh, as a team, as a team, and for growth and scalability. And this, here's where I shift over to your article, and I have it up. So I have an unfair advantage over you. Okay. Yes. So uh, le- leaders need to harness Aristotle's three types of knowledge, right? And I, I thought leadership the whole time, leadership, leadership. Le- you could write a whole book on leadership with all your articles, by the way. Um, it's an interesting, and, it's an interesting thought that has occurred to me. So you think, you think I should, cause that oh, could man. be, that could be an, uh, a, a next one. Yeah. I totally saw all the components of chapters with all these articles I was digging in. I was like, damn, this is good, man. And I, I'm going to just help you out here just in case you don't remember. And I don't know how to pronounce these. So help me out. It's ethos, logos, and pathos. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, let, let's go. Tell me, tell me all about that. Well, um, so Aristotle, uh, this great book that almost nobody, nobody reads uh, is the art of rhetoric. And he, and he says, you know, what, what you, because what he said is, is, in order to create something new, be innovative, create something that doesn't now exist, you have to be persuasive. You have to imagine that possibility and then and then make the argument for it compelling enough to cause you to shift from what you're doing now to the to this new thing. And and he and he said in no particular order, you need you need you need these three kind of uh, dimensions or dri- drivers. So you've got you've got to. Kind of have ethos, which is sort of this will, the the character that would cause people to see you as credible and authentic, mm. um, and and sort of both are, both are important. If you come across as sh- you know shmarmy kind of a salesman, you're not going to have the sense of authenticity if you've got no no ability to kind of relate to the specific facts of the case. You 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 lack the credibility. And then logos is the logical structure of the argument. That'll be part of the persuasiveness. Does the argument uh, hang together? Uh, uh, are you making what feels to the recipient? Because it's all, this is again, back to consumers. It's all in the eyes of the consumer. You could think it's a logical argument and they could say, what's the guy talking about? And then pathos, the, uh, uh, the capacity to empathize. So, to be capable of, of having that sort of large scale effect, um, you've got to understand the audience enough to be able to figure out what argument would be persuasive to them back to locus and, and to have the sense of credibility and, and, uh, authenticity. Dude, that's, I'm telling you leadership book is coming up. Imagine <laughs> that's, that's, that, it, you know what that that just reminded me of um, Ryan Holiday, right? Where he talks about uh, all, all these items. Anyway, 
Roger, this was awesome, buddy. I got so much from your book and it made me dive deeper into your articles just just for for this. And I'm glad I did. So if anybody's looking for some great content besides picking up Roger's book, I need you to go and Google his name, Roger L. Martin, and then type in HBR and you're going to find all of his amazing. How many articles do you have out there? I have 30 uh, which, which, which somebody was telling me is is more than any anybody in the twenty uh, first century. So twenty nine of them right. are in the twenty twenty first century. So that was kind of that was kind of cool. That That's- is very cool, dude. <laughs> I love that. Well, thank you so much for jumping on. We appreciate you a lot. Thank you for this amazing book. And what's the best way to get a hold of you? If somebody has a question, or you on sure. social? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I, am uh, I, I have a website uh, that's www.rogerl. You got to remember my middle initial L for Lloyd, rogerlmartin.com. I am on Twitter at Roger L. Martin. Um, and uh, yeah, those, those are the best, the best ways to, uh, to get a hold of me. Um, I like it. And then and- one last question. I know every, it's on everybody's mind if you've made it this far into the podcast. Are you a fantasy football player? I don't. I, I've never gotten into fantasy football. I, I am a I'm a I'm a real football aficionado, uh, uh, but I've never got into fantasy. I don't know why. Who's your yeah. favorite team? Football team. It it is the New England Patriots because I lived in Boston for those many years and for for many years, it, like in the seventies and eighties when they were horrible and so you 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 build yes you build up uh, the uh, victor kayam uh and uh uh so that's part of you you when you suffer for long enough then uh and you're sort of ensconced in it but i just love it i just i just i just love the 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 fact the the degree to which strategy shifts and of course you've got this this new wave and and uh you guys just down the street from you we are kind of won this year with a 30 something coach right that's that's fairly that's fairly amazing like in what other sport there may be there may be some example but i do not believe in any of the other major pro sports uh that uh you don't get uh you don't get uh uh, you know, 30 something coaches, head coaches winning. Can you That's think in true. baseball or hockey? No, or we, did interview, we did interview Mike Sosha and I asked him a similar question. Um, yes. And now I can't think of it. Usually you see much older managers, right? Because of the experience. But you're right. I can't think of anything else. I mean, Stafford, bringing in Stafford to lead the Rams was amazing. That was an amazing idea. Yeah, it yeah. shows you that the the Lions kind of sucked for not doing that earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a whole different podcast. Roger, you no, and I can start a whole ESPN let's, podcast. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's so Listen, funny. Anytime, anytime, my friend. This is, this is awesome, and I will think hard on the leadership book idea. I appreciate you for being on, man. Thanks. Not at all. Take care. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.